Welcome to Tripping Over the Barrel, a series that highlights the unique personalities within the oil and gas industry and the stories they have to share with your hosts and lead storytellers, Tilo and Dr. Funkenstein. Tim, this is a special day for me. Not only do we have a Jeremy on the podcast, you're going to call me Dr. Funk or something like that, yeah, right? You're going to have to. But we got a Jewish dude. So now wow. you're outnumbered. You're outnumbered, Number Tim. Number two. Number two on the, yeah. Love it. Love it. We got Jeremy Gottlieb on the pod today. Jeremy is a disruptor in the energy tech space. We were just joshing around right before this because Jeremy is brash. I mean, I'm brash, but what are we going to do here? What do I call him? G? JG? <laughs> I don't know. Jeremy's brash, man. He he puts right on his LinkedIn profile exactly what he's doing. We are displacing Aries software for reserves management, forecasting, and planning for oil and gas. Tim, we weren't quite that brash when we brought Value Navigator down here, did we? Now, this, I mean, of course, this is for me, I'm anxious to see their success because this is what I tried to do for what seven years was go out and try and replace Aries software. And, you know, it wasn't easy at the time. Maybe we were trying it too soon, but I'm anxious to see how they're doing. Yeah. Well, they're doing pretty well. I mean, it's, it's pretty incredible. Jeremy's shown me his calendar before. Like, I don't even know what to do. I just had 30 Zoom meetings this week type of thing. So clearly a lot of demand, a lot of excitement around what Inside Petroleum is doing. But, you know, Jeremy, I, I haven't talked to you too much about your background and what kind of brought you um, and your organization and your life to, to where you are. I just know that you've been grinding hard and having great results. So why don't you tell the audience a little bit about yourself and, um, and we'll jump into it all from here. Sure. Thanks guys for having me on the show. Excited to be here. Uh, I guess I'll go from the college. I got to give a shout out to the UT Longhorn alum, went to business school there. Uh, after that, graduated and, and started working at EY in the M&A group. Uh, did that for a few years, worked at a hedge fund and then bounced back into the oil and gas space uh, at Deep Golf Energy, where I worked for seven years, headed up the finance team. We raised a lot of capital, deployed a lot of it in the Gulf of Mexico and sold the Cosmos back in 2018. And while we were in the process of selling, I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do next. Uh, I met Armand in late 2017, and he was working on a cool project. He had a prototype. Um, he said, oh, I hate Aries. I, I want to go ahead and build a tool. It's, it's just an antiquated tool. It's been 40 years. I said, I've got experience with PhD Win, and I'd love to have access to that tool on the finance side and make better business decisions just because you know, I have to just beg for runs on a Saturday night at 7 p.m. and ask the reservoir team to to go ahead and do work. And it's just it wasn't fair. I'd be happy to do it myself. So I said, I'm going to call you in a few weeks. Uh, so I had a four month old at home at the time. My wife said, go ahead, quit your job, go all in. And so we uh, saw so quit in January. Uh, we ended up raising our capital in July from the former Rice Energy team. And we've been yeah. blow, blowing and going since. It's been a, a crazy ride. That's got to be a crazy time to try and start something. It. Four month old at home. I mean, come on. You you better buy, you better have bought her a nice push gift, man, because not all wives are so accommodating. Tim and I are lucky. Ours are, but that is super rare. Now this is this is a good story. Like you lived the pain and decided there's got to be something better. 
And people had tried like, Tim, this is what I'm excited to see about inside is people have tried to do this. Like we tried to do it with value navigator and got sort of a piece. I feel like people saw this is better at forecasting type wells. Maybe it doesn't do the full reserves management piece, at least when I was there. Um, as, as Aries does, but pe- people didn't like Aries then. This has been a thing, <laughs> but nobody could do anything about it. Well, you know, yeah. trying to sell Value Navigator into the market, you know, I'm going to whine so a little hard. bit. Let me just whine yeah. just a little bit. So, you know, it's the market dominated, it's a market leader, and then you've got the cheap version, which is PhD Win. Great. And they're both, I mean, they're quality products. They're just old, or, or Aries was, is just old. And we, we thought we had a better mousetrap. So we were going to go out and try and replace it. And, you know, you go in, you convince somebody, yep, this is better, or this is, you know, some better set of features. But our banks use Aries, our consultants use Aries, our competitors use Aries, the data rooms use Aries. We can't leave it until you get the other thing. So it's this interesting chess match trying to get enough of a groundswell to do something. And, you know, ultimately I left before we could have uh, big success at it, but we did have minor successes. I, I just, I want to hear how it's going. It's going amazing. We've, it's a rocket ship. We've, uh, we have increased our customer base just in the last two and a half months by 50%. Um, yes, sir. Our team is, uh, is over, it's around 26 people right now. Um, and we're about to hire another five to 10 in the next two to three months. So, I think that gives you a little bit of idea. We're, we're not going to say any numbers of customers, but it's a lot. We are at critical mass right now. Um, I think the thing that we saw was that if you have a, a, a you know, your mousetrap can't be 10 or 20% better. Your mousetrap has to be 10 times better than anything on the market. And so we spent a long time developing our product and spent a lot of time thinking through what can we do to make sure that it's 10 times better. So when we go to market, we're able to capture it quickly. And so that's what we did. So integrating all these pieces in an easy to use system that can be accessible across the entire company was the vision of our, of our company. We, we wanted to go ahead where everybody could go ahead and manage their business, their upstream or even midstream company, right? We have midstream uh, users as well. Um, and we have banks, we've got private equity firms, everybody can work together. So we've got uh, shareable. You never have to send emails to each other with your databases in it anymore. We've got a process that automates sharing of your database. It just we just made it so much easier and so much better and a lot more collaboration. Uh, and also, you know, desktop solutions. You just it's impossible to make updates. We have such a large software dev team. Every two to three weeks, we release new features and we listen to our clients. We get on the phone with our clients who say, "What's your biggest challenge that you're having?" And then we go ahead and build that in. So that that client feedback loop that we're able to implement in a quick period of time and also having the best customer support, we respond to our tickets in under 10 minutes. Generally, it's five minutes. We've got the best product, the best service. It's always a win for us from that standpoint. So that's the vision of the company and how we've been so successful. Basically, like you're saying, almost like a real technology company, like one that that exists in in other industries and worlds. So, I mean, not all of our listeners know what reserves management is and forecasting and Aries and all that stuff. So an equivalent I like to make, because you showed me the product a couple of months ago, 
and, and I can really see it. It really reminds me of if you go to your investment apps and you go to TD Ameritrade and you go to Fidelity, they work, right? And it's simplistic enough and you can go buy trades and sell stocks and whatever. But Robinhood, even though I don't want to give them a ton of clout because I'm not really happy with what happened with the GameStop thing. But nonetheless, Robinhood is such a nice UI. It is so easy. It's beautiful. It's colorful, right? And and it just, it makes you want to use that app. And I saw yours. I'm like, this is kind of like the Robinhood for, for oil and gas as far as what you're doing from a user interface and just desirable UI standpoint. What was the motivation uh, to, to kind of do what you guys did? And, and who is that company that you look up to as we are them for this industry? So that that is hilarious. Um, we definitely were inspired by the Robinhood theme. Actually, that was the first website our, our one of our developers said, I really like how clean the site is. So you actually hit it the nail on the head in terms of some of our early inspiration for development. Uh, in terms of just companies we look up to, you know, Salesforce is just a behemoth and continues to grow and grow and grow. I really look up to them, what they've done with the sales, the CRM, and really being expansive across all industries, right? We don't just have a vision to be just in the oil and gas space in particular, but we've got a big vision beyond that as well and being able to expand it. So we love the way they think about their business. Uh, that's how we think about our business, making it enterprise level platform. Everybody touches the CRM pretty much in the organization outside your software development team. And even the support tickets have feedback loops into your JIRA board and everything like that. So I'd say biggest inspiration in terms of just all the technology companies, they implement new features every two to three weeks. And what yep. we saw that was so disappointing was that, you know, these software packages haven't been updated re realistically in 30 or 40 years. And then any updates is another desktop based solution. And or, I think or you have to rebuy it. <laughs> and rebuy it again. Implementation, right. So we wanted to bring something better to the industry. We, you know, I've been in the oil and gas space my entire career. Armand's been in the oil and gas space his entire career. And we just wanted to do something big that was significantly better. Um, and that vision of simplifying things, because, you know, more complex things don't necessarily equate to better software was, it, you know, it enhanced the user base. So we've got a lot of users. It's not just the reservoir engineers or engineer techs right now. We have geologists using our system, collaborating with the reservoir engineers. We have finance teams collaborating with the reservoir teams. Instead of waiting on a run from the reservoir team, they can just hop in, change the price tag, rerun it, and plop it in their model. It just makes the entire process of managing your day-to-day -day asset significantly easier. And, and collaboration, I, I think, is a big deal. So this, this is a question I wanted to ask coming into this call because – one of the things that I've seen, at least that we struggled with with Value Navigator, was the average age of the reservoir engineer and the reserves groups were old, like coming up on retirement. And that was part of what held people back. Have you noticed having better success with younger users, younger teams? Or do you feel like even the people that are in the 50s and maybe 60s closer to retirement are embracing what you guys are doing as well. Like, where do you get the pushback and who loves the stuff? You know, we've actually had no pushback really at all from anybody because when they see the system and they see the power of the system, uh, we just, there's really no reason that you wouldn't want to use it. And we've been fortunate, reservoir engineers, when they see something, they know that's going to improve in efficiency across the board. 
they've been really receptive. But if they don't see a clear value proposition at time zero, then it's very difficult to sell across. And I think a lot of the other tools that tried getting into the Aries and PhD Win area just didn't have enough value prop in order to move forward with it. Because if I have to rip out my entire system and move it to something else, it, it just has to be at 10x. Uh, and nothing could say that they were 10 times better than anything uh, that was currently out in market, which we've, you know, we've been able to demonstrate that across multiple trials with big companies. We've signed a, uh, one of the largest majors in the United States in a matter of few months, and we're just so excited. They saw the value prop, and, and a lot of uh, public companies are currently working with us have seen that and see how transformational it can be with the organization. So that's where I think, it, so we haven't had any pushback Everybody likes it. They see that we're not just trying to sell them software and we're not going to, we're just going to hand it off and be done with it. That's the other thing. We, we tell them, guys, we're going to take your feedback and continue building on software. It's not a stagnant platform. It's a living, breathing platform that's going to continue to get enhanced every two to three weeks. And I think all those things coupled together really make it a successful, a, a, a successful sale. And that's why we've been able to scale so quickly with such a small team on the BD side. Man. Tim, remember when you were young and had energy? I was going to say, <laughs> I'd really like, Jeremy, I'd really love it if you would show a little more enthusiasm. Yeah, what's going on, man? Pretty, pretty uh, <laughs> monotone today. Nah, that's good stuff. Go ahead, Tim. Yeah, I was just going to say, you know, one of the challenges, there, there is a high bar, high barrier to entry into this market. One, you do have a market dominator that's out there. Halliburton and, and Schlumberger have their products, and there's others in other uh, regions like Valnav and Canada and so on. One of the big challenges, the high barrier to entry is in the U.S., we effectively have 38 economic regimes with all kinds of variability. Uh, and, you know, Texas does things different than New Mexico. And and there's ad valorem tax here and none there. And there's a 10-year mm -hmm. holiday on severance tax for tight gas in Texas from however many years ago. How did you guys go in the short period of time, and you said you spent a lot of time on the software. I mean, a couple of years, that's not a lot of time. And with these companies, I'm, I'm curious, how did you go about getting all of those technical details right? Sure. I mean, a lot of that's just easily extractable from the websites, uh, but also you can customize all of our models, right? So everything in our system is customizable. And so they can make adjustments any way they'd like to do. Um, but most of it was built on a framework on being able to go ahead and run your type curves, run your forecast, run your scheduling, run your economics, and then visualize everything through an integrated solution. Uh, so that's where we saw that as a, the biggest opportunity, the integration, the collaboration, everything that you talk about being able to work together in a system and then having that speed, the cloud on your desktop, you're still limited. So the one funny thing is I ask reservoir engineers, if you were to run 10 scenarios, 10 times with a thousand wells, how long would it take you and uh, on your computer and how long would you be unproductive for? I think it's generally two to three hours, if not more, of non-productive time. In Combo Curve, you can do that while working on other parts of the application. They literally are saving thousands of man hours a year using our system because they can run concurrent operations. Uh, you can run forecasts and then you can continue working on your economics or build type groups or build another project. You never have any downtime using our system, and that just creates a ton of efficiency. So companies which have really scaled back from a people perspective, the well count is not going down in the United States. It's only going up. 
but the number of people in the companies are not going to be going up really quickly at all by any stretch. Absolutely. So they they have to let the petroleum. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. So we have to, you have to leverage technology. I love it. You have to leverage technology in order to manage it. I mean, people, reservoir engineers don't want to work 80 hours a week. They have families. I mean, I don't see my family very much and and hopefully it changes in the future, but I love what I'm doing, but they don't want to be forecasting wells and trying to run sensitivities 80 hours a week. They want to have a normal work schedule. And so we help them achieve that. And then we help companies grow without necessarily having to hire a ton more people. So that's leveraging our tool in order to make sure that they're efficient from a people perspective and also in the future, as they continue to grow, they don't necessarily have to increase their GNA. Yeah. See, you you actually gave me some really good advice on this. So Tim knows it because we're in touch, I mean, almost every day. It's kind of since the podcast started. But I'm in the process of launching my own company, probably will be launched by the time this comes out. I'm really excited about it. Lots of fun things. But I sort of found myself really over the last month, six weeks, working every day every day. And you gave me some good advice when we got on a Zoom on a Sunday, because you're like, if you're working right now, we can talk. And and because you were working and we got together, I was like, so do you work every day? You go, I usually take one day. And, and that's really helped me. Now it's either Saturday or Sunday. I really just try to not pick up the computer at all. But we'll see. I mean, we'll see how long that lasts. But But where did you sort of come up with that ethos of Obviously, I know you're working a lot right now. People like to to BS and talk about I'm working 70, Hustle. 80 plus hours. Hustle. He's a hustler. But, <laughs> but where did you come up with the idea of at least, all right, one day and, and how do you pick that day? Yeah, I mean, you have to have time with the family. Family is really, really critical. <laughs> and I don't see my kids enough right now. So I try to take Saturday off every single week uh, to spend time with the family and decompress. Everybody needs you know, what a Sabbath day. Uh, and I was and, getting ready to go there. I I'm think that there. was the Bible, Jared. I think the Bible said that. I mean, the Bible Saturday. tells you to do it. So, so I listen <laughs> to the Bible, not very much detail around, but I, I'll try to listen a little bit. Um, but yeah, I, th- I think just being able to decompress. I mean, we work 12 to 18 hour days, Monday through Friday, and then a full day on Sunday. So it's a, it's a very intense week. We take calls at 11 p.m. Sometimes they come in at, on Sunday night at 10 p.m. and we're on the phone with our clients. Uh, and, and on Saturdays, if tickets come in, we're all on top of that. So everybody's working as you know seven days a week. We're on call seven days a week for our clients. But uh, but yeah, I've spoken to a lot of other founders at companies and working seven days a week. You know, 15, 18 hour days is going to burn you out and. This is not a this is not a sprint. This is a marathon. And to be successful, you need to make sure that you've got time to spend with your family. Uh, you've got time to decompress, so you can hit the week really hard on on Sunday and have a good you know six days of productivity. So that's kind of where it came from. I, I, a lot of other CEOs that I've spoken to take you know a day off every week just to make sure they have time. And that, I take that's four awesome. days off. I don't know what the other <laughs> talking about. I hope Larry, Larry's not listening. <laughs> Yeah, so I, I do want to talk a little bit about Judaism because I never got that opportunity. But but Tim, you'll appreciate this. I set up a call not too long ago with me, with Jeremy, and with Abe. And I was oh, like, boy. we did it. We did it, guys. Three <laughs> Jews. Three Jews on one call. And Jeremy's like, nah, I deal with the Jews all the time. But but really, I mean, oil and gas being a, a primarily Texas, central time zone type of industry doesn't have a ton of Jews. So, so I'm curious from 
from your standpoint, Jeremy, we haven't really ever talked about religion. I, I know we're both Jewish, but um, how do you view yourself in terms of, of Judaism and how has that kind of helped with you, um, you know, navigating the, the world that you're in? Sure. I mean, every th- I, I ended up going to school from kindergarten through graduation high school to the same school in Houston, um, Barron Academy. I, I think a lot of it's ethics, right? Everything that you do, it guides, it's guiding principles. Um, my kids go to uh, the Jewish Day School. I think it's important to understand your history, where you come from, and really have an appreciation for that. Uh, a lot of it is, uh, is a guiding principle, how you conduct yourself from a business perspective and a people perspective, how do you treat others around you? So that's how I view it. And also from a community perspective, there happen to be a lot more Jewish people in the oil and gas space and the energy space. than I think you've met necessarily uh, in the Houston area, just a ton of folks that are great. I've got great friends at Shell at Oxy. So a lot of, a lot of people, we actually had energy meetup uh, for um, in a group that was happening prior to COVID. So uh, several hundred, at least, if not a lot more. Well, I want that invitation. Just like the digital wildcatters know, I'm going to Houston for this crawfish boil. I will go to Houston if it's for the right networking event, I'll tell you. All right, well, we'll put you on the list. I didn't realize that uh, it will, we'll, we'll get you on there. Love it. Love You're going to be there? I am I can walk to that thing. I heard. Now, Jeremy, are you going to that? I'm sure you were one of the 9,000 yeah. people that got invited. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm definitely going to be going. That looks like a lot of fun. Oh, that's awesome. I love what I love what the cats are doing. So, Jeremy, what uh, what was it like growing up in Houston for you? Were you surrounded by oil and gas growing up or? No, you know, the funny part is uh, my family is in the medicine area. So my dad was a doctor and um, I definitely did not want to be a doctor by any stretch. Uh, from a from just a cost perspective, going to medical school. I ran the numbers when I was in high school and I said, I don't think the ROI really works for me on this one. Yeah. So you were destined to be a CPA, weren't you? <laughs> Running the numbers on medical school. Uh, when he was eight. I was, I was always destined to be in, in finance and accounting somehow. I, I, was, I was always running numbers and, and hustling. And I had a, a business or two when I was younger, a uh, dog walking business when I was 12. I, I made pretty good money during the summer times. Uh, when people were out of town uh, in the in the neighborhood, but yeah, I grew up in medical area, so that was kind of there. Never really thought about oil and gas um, growing up whatsoever. It wasn't it wasn't necessarily on my mind. But then uh, when you, when I came back to Houston from UT, uh, everything that I was doing in the M and A group at EY was in the oil and gas space, and I just loved it. I mean, it's so complicated. There's a lot to learn. And the coolest part about it at Deep Gulf, I got to sit with all the engineers and understand what was happening, all the operational side of things. We did some crazy things with the HPHT well in the deep water Gulf of Mexico, 18,000 foot dual zone completion. So I got a lot of education uh, at the company to really understand not just the numbers, but also the operations, the reservoir engineering, the G&G side of things. Do we need to translate all that for you, Dr. Funk? You <laughs> if you don't mind. If you don't mind. Yeah. So what, what is two zones? High temperature, like, high talk, pressure. Talk, talk about two zones, Tim. Like, seriously, I don't – I get what he's saying because I've been around long enough, 14 years in energy tech and working with you, who can break things down and give me the cliffs notes. But, but what does that mean from an offshore perspective? 18,000 feet, dual zone completion. What is he talking about? Well, I mean – Obviously, when, first of all, these are high te- high temperature, high pressure wells. Dual zone completion means you've got two productive horizons 
that you're going to have to produce from, maybe separated by a couple hundred feet. So it just adds more complications. You're going to run two, two tubing strings, all those things. So that's that's basically what we're getting into. So uh, Jeremy Gottlieb, we we uh, we like to baffle Jeremy every once in a while with uh, new uh, pieces of technology he's never heard of. So it's always good to school him. <laughs> yeah, you got to give him some education. It's a, uh, there's a lot of education and constant learning in the space that we're all doing. But yeah, it was it was that was a thrilling project. I can tell you that much in terms of getting it online when we were uh, at Deep Golf. You, you know that I mean it's good stuff, and we joke around about it. But I've I've learned a little more, and I even think I impressed him a few weeks ago. He's like, "Well, you know a little bit more about production than I thought." So Tim, of course I do, man. I've been in the space long enough. But my yeah. favorite part, though, is when you come across new slang terms for things that only <laughs> happen in the oil and gas industry. I mean, the drilling rig is covered with things that are named stuff that don't describe it at all, like the cat head. You know, <laughs> someone says, "Hey." You want to go kiss the cat head? Uh, I'm not sure. And of course, it's the last thing you want to put your lips on. <laughs> Speaking of the cat head, that reminds me of the cat poop, which I believe is diatomite, Tim. I think you taught me that, right? No, no, no. Diatomite is kitty litter. Oh, I'm sorry. Kitty litter. That is, a, that is what they produce. Uh, many of the formations in California and San Joaquin Valley are actually produced out of diatomite. Well, we, we got to keep moving this forward because Jeremy's going to start checking his email if we don't move this thing along. <laughs> but, but, you know, Enough education. One of the things that, that I'm impressed by with your company, so actually to, to backtrack a little bit, I think that the greatest CEO of all time is Steve Jobs. But I think for modern day CEOs, it's Jeff Bezos. And mm-hmm. I've watched videos and I've read books. And I, I, that's a lie. I don't read. I don't know how to read. But I've watched a lot of videos. And the thing that Jeff Bezos says about competition is very much similar, Jeremy, to how you and Armand approach the industry. If you focus on competition, you only look to get a little bit better than your competition and then you rest. Why Amazon, in part, is so great is because they've never focused on competition. They've focused on the customer. They've focused on the end user and making the experience for that person better and better. So I'm curious from your standpoint, because when we talk, and I feel like I'm getting to know you a little bit, it's never about the competition. You know that you can be better, right? It's about the end user experience and being really an advocate for your clients. Who, who are some of the CEOs that you followed or really methods that you've put in place? And, and, and how have you guys kind of formulated that? This is not us versus competition and being slightly better. This is about us taking this to another level for our customers. Yeah, no, that is. So the other thing you, you, you guys hit the nail on the head, Robinhood and then Amazon as well. So that's how we became so laser focused on the customer um, is all about that's what Bezos was focused on. And when we when we were working together early on, we said we're going to be so laser focused on the customer, make sure they're the happiest they could possibly be. That's that's how you win. That's how Amazon grew. So we've seen that you 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 guys kind of taken our entire playbook out in the open. But uh, it's, it's easy, uh, man. It's easy. It, let's let's start a company. We know what Valnav does. Let's do it. Let's do it. So it, it's um it's all about you know. So those are the the customer was a big focus for us, making sure we understood what they want and making sure we could support them in the way they expect to be supported. When you call up Amazon, you get an answer in a, a second and somebody's on the phone and they take care of stuff for you. Similar thing for us. I mean, that's why our response time is so quick. We want to be 
we want the banks to love us, private equity firms, the upstream companies, midstream companies. We want everybody to love us, not only because of the best product, but because we take care of them and best customer support. So it, it is hyper-focused. It's not just a focus, it's a hyper-focus. Everybody on the team knows that we are here to delight the customer, make sure they are so happy. And the funny part is, is that we have a very small BD team, right? There's literally only two people on the BD team. And then myself and Armand do a bit of deep, a BD. We've got account managers, but literally two BD people that are hitting the ground running. What happens? Everybody loves us so much. They're giving us refer referrals. They give us so many inbounds because our customers love us so much. They're giving recommendations and then we get a lot more business coming in. And those deals, you know, if somebody gives you a referral, that deal's 100% closing. That's, that's it. That's game over. That was, that's what makes us so powerful in terms of being able to recycle and rinse and repeat really quickly is because people love us. We take care of them and they tell their friends about us. And we just love that about the industry. One thing that, you know, a lot of people say, well, the industry is slow to adopt technology. I would say the industry is fast to adopt great technology that's going to help them out and they see that's going to make a huge impact. So if you have a great technology, great team and great customer support, it's going to be adopted. Uh, it will make its way through quickly, but you got to spend the time to properly develop it at the time before you go out. So, All right, Jeremy, I got a couple of different things that I want to talk to you about. But um, first, this you know, the last couple of years have been very interesting for the industry, I'm, mm -hmm. And with you guys actually coming out right before the downturn or even maybe during the downturn, yeah. Yeah. Um, do you <laughs> think that the COVID crisis and the corresponding downturn has actually been helpful to you in getting, getting the product launched? First and foremost, that was possibly when oil prices went negative, Armand and I had a huddle up <laughs> meeting that day. We we're like, holy shit. It's, what are we doing? <laughs> uh, we, I like, I, I like Armand. Well, we got to get a game plan in place. Somebody's going to be making money, so let's think about the opportunity set. And so, <laughs> somebody always makes money in a downturn. I guarantee you, it happens. So we had to sit down and strategize, and we spent the day strategizing, and we came out with a good target market. Um, uh, so we first started working with mineral companies, which was a very successful target market that we captured quickly. Uh, but so we came out in May 2020. Uh, the worst time ever to launch a software product in the oil and gas space in history. But we we were um, very laser focused and it just took up, you know, you just had to pound the uh, had to pound the pavement really quickly and just kind of cycle through as many folks as you possibly could and have as many meetings, get feedback to iterate. So I think it actually helped us because Zoom, uh, because of Zoom, I was able to have 40 plus meetings a week personally. And so that gave us a, a great head start on getting clients into the system. So in a matter of six months, we had over 300 meetings with companies. Um, and and wow. it was pure sacrifice. I mean, we didn't get potty breaks. It was it was super challenging. Uh, and then we were we had a lot of people in the system and the team was even leaner than it was uh, right now. So we had a lot of hats we were wearing. It was it really was seven days a week. But uh, I would say that's helped us out. We've been able to have a lot more meetings and get a lot more traction. Would it have been nicer for prices to be stable in the 50s and 60s? Yeah. But I think it also accelerated our adoption too because people did trim a lot and, and probably they trimmed pretty deep into the employee pool. And so that also necessitated 
them to look for uh, at other technologies in order to help them out from a process perspective. And circling so back to what Jeremy Funk said earlier, I, I also wonder if if the if it didn't just de-age the the your client base just a little sped, bit, sped up the retirement process. Yeah. It and may have. May have. I don't know. But either way, I, I think it, it really created this need to look at other technology to help out because the staff was just so lean. And we saw that as a great opportunity. And so we've been we've been able to go ahead and implement across a lot of companies. And, and it's very simple to get up and running in our system. So not only so, you know, um, it, not only is it a great product, but to get up and running, it, it's just a matter of like I can spin up a database in two seconds and have somebody in the system running all their entire uh, portfolio in a matter of minutes and they're ready to go. It's that simple. So we make transition easy. Uh, we have a very scalable process from data perspective to bring in data, to connect data. Uh, we just make the whole process of getting, you know, of using combo curve really simple. And that makes it easy to go ahead and, and, and win deals. You know, t- Tim, you know what I want to do? I want to set up a round table. First of all, I think you need to sponsor this podcast. I think that you would get amazing following from it because Tim's whole network is people that were trying to do what you're doing in a tool like Spotfire, right? And then yeah. taking the data out and not sure how to do it. But but nonetheless, I would love to see a round table with people like with Jeremy, Kevin Kostwick, Boyd Russell, right? Get the varying perspectives and different personalities to talk about all this because the approaches John are Ludwig. so different. Yeah, the approaches are very different. The technologies being used are different, but the brains are kind of the same, right? They're just from different eras when people are from. Like this, this is super fun for me. So I've got one last question before we, uh, you know, head to uh, Shabbat dinner, and that is for you, Mister Godlieb. What does Inside Petroleum look like in three years? Interesting. In three years, you know, I, I think we could be several hundred people and. We're, I mean, we're taking over the entire integrated asset planning reserves and, and management space. So that's the game plan to grow this puppy to a, a very substantial software company and be the industry leader uh, to, you know, for all the upstream, midstream, any companies that have oil and gas assets uh, to work with us. See, I figured you'd go, well, we're just going to come out and we're going to buy Quorum Business Solutions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, I think they just consolidated, but you know, eventually we could, we, we could be pretty. We could get to that size in the next twelve to twenty-four months. I would not be surprised at the way we're we're growing from a people perspective and a and a client perspective. Man, I just want to say, I, I you know, I appreciate your hustle, your passion, your effort. Also, appreciate the fact that you're Jewish doesn't hurt. Um, but you know, Tim, I want to give you the final word on this because you are someone that has tried to do the mass takeover of the Aries market. The Let me bring a product from somewhere else. Like I, I'm curious to see, like you've been keeping an eye on this company and, and what do you think, right? What, what do you think things could look like in three years? Is this still a challenge to fight with the Aries or do we finally have someone that can pull people away from the behemoth? I, th- I, th- well, my, my take is, it was always going to be difficult with what we were trying to do before because really we had a better product, but it was the same product. Exactly. And this, what what I've seen of it so far and what I've seen of kind of some of the other uh, people coming up, it is a completely different approach. 
starting from scratch. And I think that's really the key. You're starting from scratch and you can build what you need to go do the replacement. In three years, I mean, this this and maybe a couple other competitors, because they will spring up. Of course. They're gonna they're gonna take these things out. Uh, I mean, there really hasn't been a huge change in this market in, well, uh, Jeremy said 30 years, and that's about right. So I think the time it's, it's ready. It's there. Yeah. So we'll, we'll, we'll keep an eye on it. It's, it's uh what www.insidepetroleum.com. Jeremy, is that where people find you? That's right. Or on awesome. LinkedIn. Yep. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on and uh, look forward to seeing you in Houston. It's great awesome. to meet you, Jeremy. Thanks guys. I really appreciate it. It was a lot of fun being here. <laughs>